Alrighty, we are back again, episode eight of the Sports Booth Podcast. I am joined with my fellow host, Husey. How are you? G'day, g'day. I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. Not bad. Good weekend. Rugby is back. Yeah. Rugby is it back. Is back. Uh, not fully Thank back. The Lord. Yeah. <laughs> not fully back for Southern Hemisphere, but at least some yeah. Northern Hemisphere to get us started. Um, better than nothing. You know? Better than nothing. That's what you can say about the Six Nations. It's better than nothing. Better That's than... their tagline, I think, actually. <laughs> Six Nations, better than nothing. Enjoy Guinness. Yeah. Enjoy Guinness and just say, better than nothing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that. We might have... <sighs> We yeah. might have to try and push that as as the tagline. Yeah, line. <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. What... not about Guinness though. Guinness is Guinness is Guinness is up there, but it's the you love a Guinness. Matches. Yeah, I can do I it. I can love a Guinness. I can mate. do a Guinness, but I wouldn't say I love a Guinness. Those dark beers. Yeah, look, I struggle. This this might, yeah, look, this might be controversial to some listeners out there, but I actually can't drink regular beer. I can drink stout, so Guinness is... <laughs> That's outrageous. Game. That is very outrageous. But yes, uh, yeah. I think... That's not a personal choice. I just like physically can't Physically drink can't beer. do it's it. Not like, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's it wasn't not, like... Not I, don't, a, I don't like... Not personal preference. No, yeah, I don't yeah. like normal beer. It's just... Like, I, no, I don't drink beer. I only have the finest sherry. So <laughs> like, I can't drink beer. Yes. I, I mean, I think we could at least uh, discuss with Stan Sport, you know? Surely we can get an advert yeah, going around. Absolutely. Better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know... 7:45 p.m. Super Rugby's back, biggest rugby competition in the world, most uh, most geographically big rugby competition in the world, and then at 2 a.m. Six Nations, better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. That's up at the... two, up at 2 a.m. Having the cigarette you're not supposed to have, drinking <laughs> the beer you're not supposed to have, looking for something to watch. Well, may as well throw on the Six Nations. It's better than nothing. Well, on on the, on the bender Saturday night, out late. Yeah, it's the 2 a.m. You probably shouldn't still be out. And then it's yep. oh, I'm in a pub. What's on? Six Nations. Yep. Better than nothing. Yeah, better than nothing. Yeah, <laughs> another two hours there to go, go on my bender. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So so rugby's back, which we can obviously you can tell we're excited about as we talk about our benders. Yep. And then I guess the biggest news from the NFL, um, and we're going to touch on a bit more of all NFL news, but. Yeah. The goat. It was we discussed it last week and we're horribly wrong. He confirmed. Yep. He confirmed. I guess the suspicions. The, I, the and again, as much as he confirmed that, I felt like it was a it was a disappointing confirmation where it was like, I have to do this now because I was going to retire and now there's all these little reports coming out and he probably had yeah. something special to to announce it and, and a very Tom Brady Brady way of doing it. But we're left with that. So. Tom Brady's retired. We'll touch on that later. Cricket, we'll touch on that later. A big Aussie yeah. move in Aussie as, as a surprise move in Aussie, I guess. Um, but I, yes, I, I've got a controversial opinion coming from a New Zealander, so we'll touch on that later. And then I guess lastly, where where <laughs> what a surprise, what a surprise, <laughs> a controversial opinion about Australian sports. <laughs> uh, but we and we'll t- we we won't touch on this later because unless you've got some expertise that I don't know about, neither of us. No much about Winter Olympics, but it has started. Australia got a gold. New Zealand got a gold. Much. New Zealand got a gold. Uh, there was, you go. I was on the phone with go my us. Go <laughs> with my partner's parents, and um, my partner's mum just starts rattling off all this Winter Olympics, and, and my partner goes, "You're not covering the Winter Olympics." I was like, "I was like, <laughs> what would I say? <laughs> Someone yeah. snowed down a hill. Someone Skis. skied fast. Yeah, right. <laughs> they all, yeah. It's all go- it all goes downhill." There we and uh, yeah, I mean, I I do sweep, so I guess like maybe you know, uh, what's that one? Far out. I don't even know the. I can't even remember what, the name. Curling. 
curling. Yeah, look, <laughs> I, I swept a four before. It makes me, you know, you may as well be. Curler, I guess. Yeah, we, maybe we yeah. could be in the next the next round of Olympics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if I can get my Australian citizenship, then yeah. we can compete we can for represent. Australia, and then we mm. can win a gold medal. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. Um, but let's let's keep. I do go fast down a hill. Let's go fast. Yeah. <laughs> we, we could be a bobsled team. Momentum. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We're the Australian <laughs> bobsled. <laughs> let's kick straight into rugby because I think that's yes, what's got us absolutely. excited today. I think that's what yeah. we're, we're a bit. I said it in a post. We're getting a bit giddy just to get to get some footy underway. Yeah. Six Nations kicked off, um, and and I put I put on our own sheet. I said, "Did God send me to predict rugby scores?" Because I think He may have. Like yeah. I. I I, I don't think of any other way I've been sent to this planet Earth other than to predict rugby scores. Can you? It's 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 what I said happened last time. <laughs> I channeled the power of the Lord and cleansed you of the evil, and my power has flown into you, and now you have the power. And now so... I, I have the power. And I said I said I I predict another famous Scottish victory over the English. Um, it, it doesn't count the English out from from actually being good. I think it, that was a good game. Yeah. Um. Uh, but well, let, let's start with the first game. Let's start with the first game. Let me let, let's not get too too high on myself as I already am, yeah. and my head <laughs> may explode soon. But let's start with the the Irish versus the Wales, and and I said it in the video as well. Um, if you haven't seen that, watch the video where I preview the Six Nations because I I do a pretty bloody good job of it. Um, Insert clip here. <laughs> I I said this Irish team's coming too good for their own like you know. Their own good. They're coming too good for their own yep. good because now I can't like them anymore. I just can't because they're scaring me a little bit. And the way they played against Wales, especially that first forty minutes, I was like, "Yeah, holy heck!" Like this team, I, I not a lot of weakness, and with ball in hand, they look so silky smooth at the moment. I did say, yeah. I did say in the video, two years too early, and I'm happy about that because if this was a World Cup year or even the year before a World Cup, I'd probably be like. Shit, shit. Um, but I guess oh, it is a year before the World Cup. I guess I'm about to say, isn't it? It is the year before a World Cup. So, but I mean, like, it's still quite a bit away. It's it's a two year. I think yeah. it's, it's not until like August end of the year, so 2023. So I'm, yeah. I'm not nervous. One point five years too early. One point five <laughs> years too early. There we go. I'm not not fully nervous yet. Where I'm like, gosh, but man, they played well. And if they they've got France next, um, and if they can play well in that game, yeah. I will be in France. I'll be like. Man, that that's a team that, that, that they were on. They were playing out of the out of the skin. Yeah, Mick Hansen. I mean, obviously we're going to talk about him, the Aussie on the wing uh, for the Irish. I think it was like his first touch of the game. He's got it down the sideline. He does a little chip and chase, and it's, just, it's like the confidence to do that in sort of your first out, and it's pretty pretty special. And I think that's a uh, something kind of pretty australian it's just to you know, <laughs> give it a kick see what happens kind of thing but crack. Yeah. yeah i watched over the yeah i watched over the highlights of that game and yeah look the the welsh didn't look great which as someone with welsh heritage you know it's sort of sort of support wales i've got mixed welsh scottish heritage so there's the kind of the, the two i'll really look at um and yeah so it wasn't great but you're right the irish just looked indomitable with the with the ball in hand and there wasn't sort of a weakness like it was forwards and backs both look good and 
yeah, that's not to say Wales were horrible. I think they were just overmatched. It's just a case of a good team against a really good team. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I watched that game and it, it gave me flashbacks to when New Zealand played them and it wasn't like, I think Wales were a, a, a bit below what New Zealand were when they played the Irish, but it was like, you're facing the team at the top of their game and they've just got everything right. And then if you yeah. if you aren't doing everything right, you've got no chance in it. And and Wales were far from doing everything right. Doesn't mean they were doing things bad. They just weren't doing everything right. And that's what will yeah. cost you in the end. And so that that was a game. I mean, imagine, can you imagine Mac, Mac and um, Andrew Calloway on a wing, like one wing each, and you've got a couple yeah. of just absolute Aussie dominant wingers playing some great footy. That's it's a big loss. And yeah. we, were, we were talking about pre, pre-podcast, I guess, there. That Irish has got a, a bit of taste of New Zealand and and Aussie now with with the winger. They got Bundy Arki, yeah, yeah. Jamison Gibson Park at nine. I think played unreal. He'll be in my team of the week. Um, so watch out for that when I drop that. He was unreal at number nine for them. Um, so I, I just I think I'm like man, this this Irish team has the potential to be really scary. So we'll keep yeah. keep tabs on them as a New Zealander and Aussie and not wanting to ever have to play them in a final or anything like that. But um, yeah. we'll wait and see. We'll, we'll, we'll watch the evolution of this Irish team. Second game, England versus Scotland in Scotland. Um, this is the big one. I was we like... We some bagpipes playing for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, the, yeah, you could tell how much... You could... There was a passionate game between these two definitely yes and i mean that was the thing i i I had a feeling that this is i think this is probably one of the best scottish teams that i've seen in my lifetime like i i always remember it was like italy then scotland then you had like wales and ireland who always tried hard and it was then england france and that's just Mm. oh england france france england the two top that was always how i could remember it you know I, uh, they, the England, France were the dominant ones. In Ireland, Wales always pushed, and then Scotland and Italy were the weren't that great, weren't that great. And yeah, and this finally, I was like, man, the Scottish team backing up from last year. I just see something where I'm like, they, they've got some special players, and they've got a, a, a bit more of a confidence around them that they can do this. They can beat England. Uh, they showed it last year, and again this year. I will, I will touch base. I will say, I am English heritage, fully English heritage. Yeah. I, that doesn't mean I support the English rugby team. I definitely do not. However, I don't know if you've seen the penalty try and the yellow card. Yeah. You've seen it. What are your thoughts on it? Because I, I, I think the card is fair enough. I don't... Look, for penalty try, right? If we... You know, I'm going to I'm gonna pull it up here. The rugby laws penalty try. Because unless I'm mistaken, it needs to be a, a clear and obvious... Try, try like yeah. it would have been a try. Yeah. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm why, 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 search it. why you look that up? Here, I'll give my my two cents to this because yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to bring it in close. Everybody, bring it in close. I always disagree with penalty tries to a point here. This is this is my point. Now, the uh, winger uh, Cowan Hickey or whatever his name is. The, uh, sorry, the hooker for the Englishman. Mm-hmm. He went up, crossfield kick. He's a hooker competing against the winger, so he just knocks the ball, tips the ball out. Um, I, I, I have no problem with the card. Definitely a yellow card. My issue is, if he goes up and tries to actually catch that ball, do we say that the wing is guaranteed to beat him? And it's the same thing. I always start to make the argument, even with a dangerous tackle, if you're the last line of defense and you make a dangerous tackle, it, it's not, it doesn't mean you weren't, couldn't have made a good tackle and that should be a penalty try. And that's where I always get a bit like, if, if there's a defender there, if there's enough doubt in your mind that, 
hey, if he actually tried to catch that, what would have happened? I, I can't see how you award a penalty try there. It doesn't mean that Scotland wouldn't have scored, but... Okay, I'm actually have to, going to have to go back on, on what I said, and I'm going to have to actually oppose you here, Luke, because I've looked up the laws, and it reads as thus. A penalty try is awarded between the goalposts if foul play by the opposing team prevents a probable try from being scored or scored in a more advantageous position. And then there's so on about the effect of the, the penalty and no conversion is attempted. So that's the, the key word there. I thought it was clear. It I, was be, clear. Yeah. I was clear. Yeah, but it's try. just probable. It's just probable. And I think you can say with Darcy Graham, the winger who was involved mm. there, he probably beats the England hooker to score a try there if they just go up to go. So I think interesting. Yeah, looking at the wording now, since it says probable, I'm more swayed by it. And this, I came into this thinking it was a bit of a, yeah. But the fact that this is probable, is, has, it, I'm not saying that necessarily that should be yeah. the case. Maybe it shouldn't be probable. But based on what the current law is being probable try, then I think the referees had to say on the balance of things that probably would have been a try. Yeah. And so I, I think it's, I think in that circumstance, it's fair enough under the current law. Definitely. I think, yeah. Okay. We read it like that. Yes. But I still have New Zealand versus Australia. It goes either way. Yeah. One of us are turning up. Yeah. Having a bitch and moan about how shit the refs are. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like it was that bad where I was like, it's not the refs fault. And again, I, in the end, that decision that was made, I don't mind. Like, I don't mind the decision that was made. I just look at it and go, I don't think I have enough evidence to say he would have scored yeah. if, the, if he had tried to catch the ball rather than just tap it. And that's that's what I would have put back. And it's the same, like I said, with making a dangerous tackle. If someone comes across and then ends up hitting you in the head and you're five metres out and you go, oh, you're penalty tried. But how how if he had just made a normal tackle, would you have been guaranteed to score? Again, probable starts to bring up a couple of questions. So good point there. Maybe we need to reread the rugby laws. Maybe we're not as expert as we all say we are. But I... Still not yeah. him, but but yeah, interesting interesting topic, I guess, for looking forward into the season. Yeah, and to to sort of contrast it with the rugby league um, laws. So the rugby league's law about penalty try says the referee may award a penalty try if, in his opinion, should be in their opinion in this modern day and age, uh, a try <laughs> would have been scored but for the unfair play of the defending team. So. It's I, the, the slight wording difference there, I think, puts more of an onus on it needing to be more certain. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like the... Yeah, would it be so good? Yeah, I mean, it's very similar wording. It's, you know, so uh, if the foul play by the opposite prevents a probable try or if, in his opinion, a try would have been scored but for the unfair play. See, that's the thing. A try... In, that, in the league one, it's a try would have been scored... If it like certainly had yeah. to have been scored, if not for foul play, so that puts a bit more the the evidence necessary or the play the level of detriment necessary is a little bit higher. Which I think, you know, if that was the league in rugby union, you would the referee would have had to look at it and say, okay, would Darcy Graham certainly have scored this try, if not for the foul play of the English player. And I don't know if you could say that he certainly would have scored it. I think you could say that he probably would have scored it. Yeah. I don't know if you could say he certainly would have scored it. So I'm, I'm that subtle difference. Yeah, subtle 100%. 100%. Like, I, I still, even in my looking, re-watching it in my head, I'm like, I don't even know how I'd say he probably would have scored it. Like, even for him to get up and knock his hands out, say he tries to catch it, it's not like guaranteed. Those high balls and kicks, it's like, I, I understand again, 
and I don't mind the yeah. call because I'd rather see Scotland win. But yeah. I I just sit there and I go, man, if that was New Zealand versus anybody, I'd be like, what's going on here? Like, this is a joke. Like, yeah, so I don't know. Um, I guess from my the, point the of view... Most controversial, the most controversial calls in, in rugby, no matter the code and at any level, a penalty try is always the most controversial. Yeah call of the week month season so penalty yeah, try or cards and stuff like that yeah exactly yeah. yeah and i mean that's what i can understand most usual penalty try is uh scrum and you can say like yeah the scrum's moving it collapses they probably would have scored like pretty easily like you could say that yeah this one i'm still i'm still on the fence and i, I probably still won't be happy with it. it won't sit well with me for a while yeah. but we'll move on final game france versus italy uh pretty normal yeah. everyone knew it was going to win but France was going to win, but it was, I guess, a bit more of a, a fight than they expected. Yeah. Like everyone, and this is what I said, though, I think the French got really, really lucky to have Italy first, just coming off all their COVID issues um, and stuff like that. I think they got really lucky that they got Italy at, um, to play at home. It wasn't, you know, even if they fell behind slash struggled at the half, it wasn't end all be all. Like they were. They were they were able to come back, fight on. Bench came on, finished them off. But I just knew that they'd start off slowly, um, and I think they got very lucky yeah. to have Italy first. But that, a dominant victory in the end, but a bit of a slow start. Yeah, the first half, it look literally at the forty minute mark, it was eleven to ten, one point difference. The then they scored a, a try in that little bit of extra time before halftime. France did, and that was the backbreaker for Italy. I think before then they were really keeping themselves in the game, playing on the French weakness. And the the French were lucky in their first try. Their first try was a miscommunication between uh, the Italians. You know, just a quick throw off the back of a... I believe it was off the back of a liner or a yeah. collapsed wall uh, or something like that. Yeah, liner. And it just... Yeah, it just... was The French flanker was in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, if not for that, and the if not for the try right on half, you know, Italy could have been going into halftime with a lead. So... I, I think you're right. I think France are very, very uh, lucky to have Italy first, and it's, they're a bit more forgiving to be able to work out some of those, uh, you know, kinks and chemistry uh, readjustments that are needed um, as they as they come back from from as you said the, the COVID issues and stuff. But they they get the win in the end, and it was a as 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 you correctly predicted, the uh, third out of three correct predictions, it was uh, a win by France. Definitely, and I think I guess it was. Uh, it was, yeah, it was five points. You put them in the bag, you go on to next week. They've got Ireland next week at home, massive game. England play Italy, yeah. so England will bounce back. And I think uh, I, I'm a bit nervous that that'll be a bit more of a blowout just because I think Eddie Jones will have them firing after the loss to Scotland. And yeah. then Wales against um, Scotland in, in the other match, uh, which will be really interesting because Scotland have shown they can done it, uh, can done it, can do it. But, that was very Scottish of you. <laughs> they've shown that they can do it, but can they do it, you know, consistently yeah. week over week? And that's where that's that's the thing that stopped me putting them above England or something like that. I, I felt like it yeah. was a, that they've got to show me consistently they can do it over week over week. Do you see that uh, Eddie Jones was getting a lot of flack for um, taking Marcus Smith off? They took him off at the after he scored his 17th of 17 points, <laughs> took him off about 65 minutes. You know, that's like you, sort of usual when the substitutions occur. But you got to think, like, for a back that's playing that well, who's literally scored all of your points, a young, young player, I think it was his Six Nations debut, actually, and 
obviously a talented player who had the stamina to play the whole game. You've got to think, you know, should, yeah, you, you, it's I, like the old saying, every every plan, everyone's got a great plan, but a plan never survives contact with the enemy. Like, you have to be able to adjust on the fly. And if you see that this player is clearly just playing so well, can clearly play the rest of the game, and has put on all of your points on the board, I don't see how you take that player off. I mean, like, just sort of, you know, go with your, in a, in a tight game as well, like, just go with your, your gut or your instinct and... I mean, maybe he did, and that's why he took him off anyway. But I, I, think, I don't know. I, I definitely in the camp that he should have kept him on. I think I think you're in the uh, the aura of Marcus Smith camp, where you think this young gun can do it all. And I think Eddie Jones just went with the picture. Went he saw something. I think Eddie went. I saw something where we can make this change now. And and I think it was George Ford must have come on, can take over and win us this game and and just finish it. So mm. I look nothing against Marcus Smith. He played well. I don't think he has played as good as he as everyone's saying he did. It's just 17 points on the board is what makes it look great. And his try was fantastic, don't get me wrong. He is probably one of the best fives, if not the best five, maybe just behind, I think, Bowden Barrett and his line running. Like, he just knows how to hit a line and mm. what lines to hit, and he puts himself in holes. So I'm not saying he, he had probably the best game out of the English. I just think even though that, that, that was a tactical change there, and I think – don't get over overhyped by this Marcus Smith train where it's like, yes, he was getting 17 points. Yes, he scored this try. That That's like, it's bigger than that as well. And I think you can sit there and mm. again, hindsight, you know, and go back and go, oh, well, he shouldn't have made that change and Marcus Smith would have led them to win. But we don't know that. And and I think it's not a bad thing for, for that to happen. I think eventually Marcus Smith's going to be their first five and be, He'll be irreplaceable. You won't even be able to bring him off. That's how good he's going to be. But I think for now, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't have any issues with with it. The people bitching and moaning uh, about Eddie will, will, they'll murmur down once he gets a couple of wins under his belts and stuff. Six Nations yeah. isn't the end goal. Like his, he's he's got a target, and it's twenty twenty three, and and that's all I'm worried about as well. I'm like, he he knows he's smart in this. Like as much as like these six yeah. these Six Nations add up, you you win a World Cup, you can not care about the past ten you know, Six Nations because you've won a World Cup. So I think that's what his, yep. his bigger picture here at the moment. So I'll be interested to see how England goes and, and Marcus Smith because I'm not, again, I'm not against the idea of you looking at it both ways. I just think Eddie would have done that and gone, actually, let's pull him off, let's put this on and stuff. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think he definitely had a reason for it. I just don't know if... Look, I hope it was, as he said, like something he saw in the game and he said, okay, let's make the change rather than sort of being having this plan before the game and just sticking with it regardless of the circumstances. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. No, and a good point. And again, again, we'll see. We'll see what happens this week. See see what team he names it and, uh, and go from there. Super Rugby started yeah. as well. So it started, but it hasn't started. It's pre-season games. We finally get some action. I've seen some highlights. Uh, I don't know. You may have not seen many highlights of the uh, pre-season games. No, no, I haven't of these, actually. That's yeah. all right. Well, then I can talk us through it. And this is one thing I love to do yeah. is talk about rugby. So we are about yeah. to talk about some super rugby. Okay. Chiefs versus uh, Moana Pacifica to start off with, 61-7. I just recently did a preview of, of a few teams. I'm recently preview articles. Have a read of those. Um, I don't want to be biased, mm. but they're bloody good. To, to let you know how the team's going into the season, new signings, everything like that. Um, we just recently did one Moana, Moana Pacifica. Uh, obviously, their signings are Kepu and Lili Afano, um, but I've got uh, Lincoln McClutchy, and I'm trying to hope I pronounce that right, name right. He's a young first five from Hawke's Bay 
who I think was a huge pickup for them. Um, mm. Alongside, they picked up the halfback for Hawks Bay as well, and they're gonna, I reckon they're going to play those two as a 9-10 combo. They started the game off. It was only 18-0 at halftime, or even 18-5. No, 18-0, and they they missed out on just scoring a try, um, just a man's foot just out on top, uh, out in touch for a winger. They look really good. Um, what I saw from the Chiefs, though, was... Again, they made 14 subs at halftime, both teams. So it was like a very, that type of game. This Chiefs team has a bit of fear of me again. Their forwards were wow. Like What I noticed from all the New Zealand uh, Super Rugby games, a rolling maul is going to be destructive in this year's competitions. There was, I think it was about five tries from rolling mauls in the, in the trials that I've seen. And so I think it was like three from Chiefs. I think there was no two from Chiefs, one each from... Hurricanes and Blues, and I think there was one from the uh, Crusaders as well. And I was just like, man, teams are going to have to learn how to defend that, or that's going to be a weapon. Like anytime you get down to the five, it's just about a guaranteed try from a lineout. So I, that's what I noted first from the, uh, the uh, I guess the uh, New Zealand trials. So yeah, Chiefs bet minor Pacifica, Highlanders pipped the Crusaders twenty to nineteen um, with a penalty um, because their preseason game has a bit more behind it because they're arch rivals. Um, so they take penalties to, to win the game. Um, and then Hurricanes lost the Blues in terrible Wellington conditions, 28-21. Uh, Blues scored a really nice length of the field try in these conditions. And I think the Blues showed what they've got. Um, but it was another good game where it was like very forward dominated. You, you didn't get much. Uh, Australia had a couple of trials as well. The Waratahs, I think we may have touched on it last week. Um, yeah, we did. Waratahs. Bet the yeah. Brumbies. They won. Um, and then the Force bet the Reds in their trial game, yeah. um, which, again, it's a just trial game, so just getting people touched, you can't take too much from it. And then the Fiji Duda had an internal trial, um, which we touched base on last week as well. So we've got some more trials coming up this week and weekend before we kick into it next week. Next... I just, sorry, I just, 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 just got to stop. You've forgotten... The, the, the highlight of the preseason round, which was the Waratahs playing three 25-minute trials oh. against some uh, <laughs> <laughs> some rep teams, uh, 26-0, 26-5, and 27-0. Yeah. So I just want so to <laughs> do your hot. There, that hot. is uh, Yeah, yeah. Look, that's a 78-5 to five combined scoreline. Yeah, over three shoot shield teams. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Look, good science, good science, yeah, good science. Yeah. It's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Just, like just like the Six Nations. Nation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but exactly. we, we are going to do a full full rundown, hopefully next probably next weekend, uh, full video with all the Super Rugby stuff, um, our predictions, our players to watch, stuff like that. So watch out for our articles. Um, I'll mm. probably put all the articles down in the description that I've done so far. Um, and have a read of those if you're interested. Let's move on to cricket. All right, so mm. Justin Langer, obviously out as the Australian cricket coach by by choice, not not forced out by choice. Well, 50-50. Well, you know, <laughs> well, that's, yeah. like, that's like be, that's like walk, that's like saying walking the plank is a choice. He chose to jump. He chose to jump. Yeah, exactly. I might, I might survive the sharks down there, yeah. but the sword will probably stab me in my back. Like, Cricket Australia has stabbed me in my back. Um, so I'm going to start with my controversial piece, and then I'm going to let you just kind of take in what I say, and then see what you come up with. Okay. Everyone's making quite a big deal about this in Australia. I don't think it matters one bit. Do you want my honest opinion? It doesn't matter one little bit 
who the coach of Australian cricket's going to end up being, who it is, who it was, who it will be, who forever it will be. Okay, because cricket's been one of those sports where you haven't necessarily needed a coach to coach. You know, the players can do half of the work. I think with this team where they're currently at, I don't think it matters too much. Obviously, you're going to have a coach in there, and they're going to be a decent cricket brain. Don't tell me you can just put Joe Blog on, onto the onto coach the Australian cricket team. I've seen Ricky Ponty's name chucked around. I've seen a few other names chucked around. You chuck anyone there, I think they're going to do a fantastic job. It's the Australian cricket team. So to me, everyone's making this as a big deal, like Lang has gone, Lang has done this, this, that, that. Obviously, he won the Ashes. He won the T20 World Cup. Don't take that away from him. He also lost a series to India at home, and which was a weak Indian team. There's not a strong case. He, he went to Bangladesh with T20s, lost five, four games, I think, there. It's not like... He's the greatest coach to ever walk the planet. He's done this, done that. There's obviously the things going on internally with Cricket Australia, the way they handled this, Pat Cummings' handling of this, that you could sit here and argue. I don't really mind the way Pat Cummings, he's kind of stayed out of it. I don't think he minds too much either. He just says, I want to play cricket. And who doesn't just want to play cricket? In the end, I don't think it matters. And it's from a New Zealander. I legitimately don't think it matters. I think both sides in the end have done what's right for themselves. I think Lang has done... 100% not right. That he was getting, as you said, the sword in the back, forced to walk the plank. I think Cricket Australia have done... I don't, I don't know what their ploy is because I don't think it mattered if he was coach or not, but mm. if they've got a replacement or they didn't see him to take them forward, then they've done it this way. I think it was a poor way to do it, but it doesn't matter in the end. That is my take. <laughs> I... Okay. I agree with you to a certain extent. So... Uh, I think you're right in that at the moment it doesn't necessarily matter who the coach of Cricket Australia is because, or the Australian cricket team is because the squad and the depth that Australia have is so talented and you, you know, not speaking as a cricket expert here but as someone who played cricket as a youth you know the coach was there for the, 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 the coach taught me fundamentals. I didn't really ever go into it with, with a game plan. Again, I wasn't a high level cricket player though. Maybe at high levels there were, there was some of that, but I feel like compared to some other sports, it's less involved. It's more of the captain's job to, to make some of those calls during the game. So I think that element of it is true. I, I think, and you did touch on this. I think the way that it was handled is for me more what is the issue and i think for a lot of people is what is the issue because cricket in australia has not had the best last couple of years it's taken a character hit and this is sort of another uh you know I w i'm not going to say nail in the coffin because it's not a coffin for cricket australia but it's another like mark on the chalkboard you know it's another scratch on the the mercedes <laughs> it's just Cricket is, cricket in Australia is expected to be better than that and to behave better than that. And I think it was a lot of sneakiness, a lot of underhandedness, a lot of politics kind of stuff. And I feel like no one wanted to just sort of stand up and take the responsibility of saying and having the guts to say, Justin Langer, we don't want you to, to coach the team anymore. We think we can get someone better. And in the end, Langer had to be the one that st stood up and said, I'm just going to resign and just end this issue, which hats off to him 
that's a big gutsy character move because it's very easy to dig your heels and say nah fuck is i'm gonna stay here until you kick me out and you can be the bad guys he's he's done the right thing he's i'm gonna be the bigger man i'm gonna step away do what you need to do kind of thing so that's where my issue is is where the where cricket australia hasn't just stood up and voiced and said this is what this is what we feel this is what's going on it's not been transparent it's not been clear and you know for pat cummins you know you're in an awkward spot there like he obviously has you know some affection for langer but how can you voice you know how can you say oh, i wish justin langer was still the coach when you're going to be getting a new coach like and you you know and you don't want to betray your friend and say you can't wait till we get a new coach kind of thing you know he's he's got to walk the He's got to walk the tightrope there. Of all the people in this situation, Cummins is the one that is truly in the middle that has got to say, stay as neutral as, as possible uh, as a professional and as a, a person. I, I, yeah, I just think it really could have been handled a lot better and it's a reputational blow for cricket in Australia, which is which at the moment, and getting a new coach at the moment, is not so big an issue. But it's something that can build up over time to... So we do get to a point in the future where we do need a really good coach to elevate our players to that next level. If we've had this reputational damage building up and building up over time, who's going to want a coach? You know, if you're seeing the way that Lang has been treated, who knows how the next coach will be treated? Say they get stabbed in the back as well. It's like, you know, NFL is really sort of my thing of expertise, right? There's some organizations that function and just work. I'm always going to bring it back to the Steelers. We managed to keep a lid on Antonio Brown for however many years, Mr. Big Chest, and then he ripped off his <laughs> jersey and stormed out of the stadium. His second year was Tampa. Called his general manager a cracker at his first year with the Raiders. So the Steelers kept him stable. The Steelers are a stable organization. They don't stab their coaches in the back. The Patriots as well, a stable organization. It just runs through Belichick. Stick with him through thick and thin. Stable organization. There's other ones out there as well. Ravens, I can think of. So on and so forth. There are just good organizations out there. Then there are the not good ones. First and foremost that comes to mind is the Houston Texans. Second that comes to mind is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Third, Miami Dolphins. Two of those are Floridian teams. One of them is a Houston team. They're all in the Gulf of Mexico. So I don't know why it says about the waters in the Gulf of Mexico. Maybe that oil spill wasn't fully cleaned up properly and something's going on when people are going surfing. But regardless, they undermine their coaches. They hire coaches with out the expectation that they're going to be there for a long time and are able to build their system. And what do we continue to see? We continue to see coach turnover there. We, we see good coaches turfed out. We see terrible coaches given a chance and no long-term or stable success, if any success whatsoever. So I, that's what I worried about with cricket Australia. I don't want them to go from this upper level and be lowered down to a dysfunctional organization that can't then lure in the the talent or the brains or the personality or the character that they need to elevate Australian cricket and keep it at the peak where it's been for so long. Um, and where, you know, Langer arguably did make Australian cricket, maybe not a huge amount better. Maybe he's not the greatest coach that's ever lived, but he did make it better. I think he definitely improved the team. And you want your coach to be able to do that. And like I said, if we keep getting this reputational hit, if people think, oh, I'm not going to be safe in my job there, I'm not going to have a stable job, I'm going to be looking over my shoulder 24-7, who's going to want to take that job? So I think that's something that Cricket Australia needs to address. I think whatever coach they go with next, they just need to throw their support behind them 100%, or maybe 
as as we suggested in a previous podcast, splitting some duties here and there. If they like how someone coaches one format, get a different coach for a different format. Just get back to some stability and some normalcy. We need to end this politicking. We need to end this underhandedness and stabbing in the back and clash of personalities and XYZ. All the stuff that was wrong during Langer's coaching tenancy, which was all off the field, get rid of all that shit. And then just worry about what happens on the pitch. Yeah, no, I mean, I, this, you can't not agree with that. I, I'm interested to see Cricket Australia's next step because you would think if they're doing all this stuff, it's not just to do it, you know what I mean? They, they've got a plan, yeah. they've got a long-term, like you said, it was good, you said a long-term plan because I hope they're sitting there and they're going, look, Langer's not our guy, but he's done, like you said, yeah. well enough to to maybe improve the team, but he's not our guy to take us to that that level where we want our players to be, where we have the whole sport to be. If they're doing that, then okay, cool. You can sit there and go, okay, let's see what happens. It's Cricket Australia. Again, they're going to have talented cricketers. Can they just find someone to lead them? If they've gone into this and just gone, like you said, it's a bit of readiness. Oh, I don't like Langer. Langer's taking a bit too much spotlight. This, that, this is happening. This is happening. What, what, yeah, questions must be asked. That's all they can be said. Questions must be asked in Cricket Australia. That's yeah. not, that's not, it's a dysfunctional organization so interesting to see where cricket goes from here it's interesting to see cricket australia um i'll be interested to see who the next coach is i don't think it's going to make a difference you're too bloody good anyway so i don't think it'll make that much difference um but yes we will keep that and everyone up to date on that nfl let's start obviously the goat we discussed a little bit last week so we'll just touch base again tom brady officially officially retired done End of a, a very great and majestic era of quarterbacks comes to an end with him and Big Ben now retiring. Um, yeah, I, I'm a bit I'm a bit speechless to know not I don't know what's happening next year. You know, with no Brady, it feels wrong. Like like mm. Matt Ryan's now what the oldest quarterback just about with Aaron Rodgers. Those two guys are uh, uh, that generation, and then and then we're like Mahomes and Josh Allen. Joe Burrow, we see. Yeah. Oh, Stafford's there. Stafford, like, yeah, I was going to say, yes. Yeah, I think like the oldest quarterbacks is like Aaron Rodgers. Then it's got to be. Then I think it's got to be Matt Ryan and then Matt Stafford. Yeah, I think are the three oldest that come to mind. And then you know who's like the next oldest after that? It's a crazy thing, Matt. It's like Kirk Cousins. Yeah, yeah, and, and like um, Kirk Cousins and Cam Newton. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's that's like, crazy. Like that's there's a drop off, isn't there? Like there was that drop off yeah. where you know, like you go. Like Ryan Tannehill's in that that Kirk Cousins type era, and it's like, is that yeah. is that the best quarterbacks we've got from that area? Like era, like is that what what is yeah, this? Yeah, exactly. Like? So yeah, I mean, hey, look, Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost the quarterback. Can't complain. They're in some cap issue as an Atlanta Falcons fan. Things are starting to look up, and we'll touch base, <coughs> especially more why they might yeah. be looking up even further. But that's that's our bit on Tom Brady. I'm going to let you take the floor to start off with, and then I'll give my two cents with Brian, Brian Flores and just hear what you have to say. Because I've, yeah. I've got my own feelings, but let's give it to Mr. NFL to see what you think. Yeah, thank you. This is something I've had a lot of thoughts about recently and discussed with some of my NFL friends. Take a look at the NFL as it stands right now. There's 32 teams. There's currently currently still two vacancies, with today the 49ers announcing that or expected to hire Mike McDaniel. Now, I think Mike McDaniel is uh, part African-American. 
I, I think so. I think I read that somewhere. He, he's part, he's part he, something else, yeah. It was said he was multicultural, yeah. but I didn't see what multicultural. Yeah. yeah, but okay. <laughs> you, 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 we'll, we'll count him in there. You look out of 32 teams in the NFL, there are three minority head coaches currently. Mike Tomlin, Robert Sala, and now Mike McDaniel. When you look at the percentage of minority players in the NFL... It's well above 70-80%. Where do... I just don't understand how someone can look at, say, Josh McDaniels, right? Who's a good offensive coordinator, not a great head coach. Had a very poor head coaching record. Had a worse head coaching record than what Brian Flores had. How you can go with someone like Josh McDaniel over Brian Flores? You look at Brian Dable, and he's been, he's had average success with the Bills. Um, a lot of what he's done has been off the back of Josh Allen. It hasn't been scheming up terrific, insanely good play calls. It's been Josh Allen developing into a superstar quarterback, and he's really been doing a lot of it on his own. How you take Brian Dable over Brian Flores, I question. And so you start to look at a few of these high... You know, how did Adam Gase get like three different chances? You know, you look yeah. at coaches like that. You look at uh, you look at Rich Passaccia, who should have gotten another chance, and I'm not still not sure why he wasn't retained as the Raiders head coach, with the players still publicly coming out and saying, you know, a week now or so after McDaniels has been announced as the hire, that man, I wish Coach Rich had stayed on. Like, that's big for them to, to say that. Uh I just, I just don't understand how there are all these coaches out there in minority of minority descent, like Byron Leftwich, Brian Flores, uh, who's the other one? I think Eric Bieniemy, uh, even David Cully had a decent tenure in Houston where no one expected him to do anything. How these candidates seemingly are discarded easily or are not given a, a fair chance easily in comparison to the other coaches. Now, that's not to say that every coach in the NFL should be a minority. Not at all. And they sh- you know, you can you could debate the the merit of the Rooney rule or a, something akin to the Rooney rule in the NFL about having to interview minority candidates for different positions and whatnot. I just think that I I don't know what the solution is, but I can see that there's a problem. And I think anyone with a pair of eyes can see that there is a problem, especially when you've got the text message from Bill Belichick mistakenly sent to Brian Flores, which was meant to be sent to Brian Dable, that the Giants had determined on this guy before even interviewing Flores. And when teams are just doing the performative step to be performative, that is where the issue is, where they've gone, okay, we've decided on Brian Dable, right? We'll still got to interview Brian Flores anyway. Now, I can understand... Being like, okay, Dable is Dable seems to be really what we're looking for. We'll still interview Flores because you know maybe he'll wow us and we'll have to change our mind. But where you're like telling people in other organisations that like, oh yeah we've got our guy, right? Where the news is circulating around that we they've set their mind on this one candidate. That's where you've got to be kind of like, well, there's there's something going on here. It's all it's it's much like. You know, as tough as it is, I don't, I don't know. It's it's sort of like 
it's very much like other workplaces where it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's really a terrible way to do it because you've got to base it off what these coaches' abilities are and what they can do. So, look, Brian Flores still has a few other interviews in in different places. I don't know if he will get a job this go-around because of the, the litigation cloud that he's under. Eric Bieniemy might get a chance with the Saints. Byron Left, which looks to be staying placed in Tampa. I think he's counting on Bruce Arians retiring, so hopefully we see him. Raheem Morris might get a job at the Texans in lieu of Brian Flores. But I think there is an issue here. You have to look at this one black head coach in the NFL right now. That's Mike Tomlin. You look at what Brian Flores did at the Dolphins as well. And the, the whole thing about him getting fired as well. Him at the Dolphins. I actually looked at his head coaching record compared to Zach Taylor's head coaching record. Okay, Zach Taylor in three seasons has got a 30% win record of in, in the regular season. Like 0.313 winning record, right? That's horrendous. But he's in the Super Bowl because his organization stuck by him and gave him a chance to prove. In Flores' three seasons, he's got a point. 4-9% win rate or something like that. Like, I think he's won one more loss than win or something like that. And he's done that in a fairly dysfunctional organization that they drafted uh, a quarterback in the in the second year as well. And he's reporting that the owners asked him to tank. Uh, you know, there's been lots of issues with the Dolphins going back for decades, right? But he's still... And the biggest feather in his cap is he's beaten Bill, Chel- Bill Belichick three games running like that's pretty impressive he was building something special there in miami where Xavier howard wanted to leave the dolphins organization but he came back to play for coach flores and they had a hell of a defense on there tour was improving but all through the year the the owner and the gym have been wanting to trade for deshaun watson and things like that you've got all this undermining and still he found a decent amount of success went on like an eight game win streak and things like that the fact that he was fired is insane to me when clearly there was something special building in Miami. And so I feel awful for Brian Flores. I feel like he was hired into a terrible situation. He was interviewing to be in a better situation and he was not given the, the right chance. And I feel like other minority coaches have come out and spoken about the same thing. And I don't think that people would speak out about nothing. Um, especially when a member of the Steelers organization, Terrell Austin, who will be our new defensive coordinator, he interviewed uh, with, I forget who we said he interviewed with, but he felt like it was not, he wasn't given a fair chance. Like it was a performative interview as well. So when multiple voices start speaking up, I mean, and that's what it, all it takes. We saw it in the in the Me Too movement and things like that as well. All, sometimes all it takes is one person. You know, Australian of the Year last year, Grace Tame, I believe it was, when she spoke up, other voices started speaking out. That's how these movements start. And we've seen in those previous movements there is, there is evidence to back up that there is a systemic problem. And I think that's going to be the case here in the NFL. The fact now that Congress is getting involved because of the claims of uh, of tanking and things like that, especially now that sports gambling is legal across America and there's a lot more money riding on the NFL than there ever used to be, things are going to be put under a bit more of a tighter microscope. And things are going to come up here that some people aren't going to want to have come up. Hopefully it leads to better systemic change and better hiring practices because, yeah, you could... I don't... There are some head coaches I can look and point at right now in the NFL and I can say, how are you coaching over Brian Flores.
and that shouldn't be the case. Definitely, and I mean, there's everything there I agree with. Um, I, I, I truly believe this is yeah, top-down and not so much the NFL top-down. Um, I think mm. the NFL have tried, and even, I think, I don't know if you've seen it, but the uh, Roger Goodell um, email that went out, or statement that they, they went out and said that the NFL hasn't been good enough trying to progress this. I think this is top-down when you come to owners. Again, yeah, 31 owners, if you don't uh, count Jacksonville Jaguars, I think it's Rashid Khan, um, as the only minority, and again, Pakistani. Um, so not a black player or a black coach, same America, everything like that. I go from those owners, it goes down to execs where again, the higher number of execs will be white guys. <laughs> and then from execs to head coaches and, and just down. And it just, to me, it goes like, this isn't going to change until we can at least a get some change at the top or get some accountability at the top. And I think mm. from me, it goes, I, I, I totally understand what Flores I can see you interview people at just a day, a, a regular job. You may have your candidate. Your candidate may be internal, but you still take all those other interviews seriously. You tick them off. You see what their skill sets are. I can't believe, especially this is just day to day where people will do that and look over people. Yeah, okay, it's day to day. You're doing a you're packaging job. Like, come on, like they still interview everyone. This is an NFL team. Don't you want to try and get as much out of every interview as possible? Like. Even if it's just to go, oh, we learned something about Brian Flores' style, about how he coached against the the, the, the Patriots, just something. Surely yep. you want to take something from every little meeting, every little ounce to give you an advantage on that football field. And I just go, there's just so much missing here. I think 100K to lose is outrageous. Again, when it was a minority coach and you would have known what that would have looked like on his record and he would have been gone. I think, like you said, there's, yeah. there's enough good coaches. Adam Gase is the, the big one. I always feel this like you had Todd Bowles at one point and you ended up with Adam Gase and I was like, how does that happen? Like, like how does that happen? Um, Jim Caldwell and Matt Patricia in Detroit is another big one. And then uh, Vance Joseph and then going into Vic Vangio in, in Denver, Denver as well. So there's examples of uh, that abound of black head coaches that – have they might not have gotten to the playoffs or not gone to the Super Bowl, but they haven't been terrible being replaced by non-minority candidates who have just done horrendously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I, I I just I there's so much behind this, and and a lot of people will go, oh, he wasn't that good of a head coach, and it's like, okay, well, if we're going to start saying that, we can start saying that about anyone who's got a record less than him because they can't be that good of head coaches to be saying that. Then there's all this arguing, oh, he wasn't able to. You know, he wasn't a good people manager. He pissed a lot of people off. I'm like, these are all just from reports, which chances are some high up white guy probably paid to get printed out to try and get said. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, there's just, when you look at this, there's no way you can't go, man, it, it, it needed someone to stand up. And and uh, I don't think, like, this, as much as, as bad as it sounds, and it's, this isn't a Kaepernick situation where, you know, Kaepernick was standing up for the whole, you know, black people. Like it was a whole, whole culture. It was, it was who they were. He was, he said, no, this is what I'm doing for our people. Flores is doing this for his people, but in a, in a way where it's like, I'm not just going to take a stand. I'm going to take a stand and try and push to make it better for all those who kind of come behind me in the coaching circles. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be an advocate for for black, um, you know, parts and everything like that. It, it's it's not like that, but it's just he's going. There needs to be. This needs to be better 
and this is how it needs to be better. And he can show you how it needs to be better. I still, still, I read that mm. the, the article about the the Broncos and the, an hour late they try turn up hung uh, or drunk, and I'm just like, how do you sit there and conduct a an interview doing that when this guy is a professional? Like we've seen, he is a professional. So I think I think he probably takes takes a year off after all this. Maybe even goes and does a year and coordinator somewhere or coordinate coaches somewhere just, just gives us time just to stay in football. Um, but yeah, I think he'll definitely bet. I can't see your team not giving him another chance. I say that, but it is the NFL. I can't see another team not giving him another chance with the coaches we've got out there. So yeah, I got it. Just one correction. There's a missed one minority coach, Ron Rivera of the Washington Commanders. Yes, so yes. Got to add that one in there. Well, well, now that you bring up the Washington Commanders, good segue. Yep. We'll, we'll jump straight into that. Washington football team no more. It's, it's the Commanders. <laughs> what do yeah, you take? I look, not – I mean, I feel like with any time there's sort of a change in brand and team, it's always going to take some time getting used to. That being said, and I might be in the minority here, but I just do not feel the new commander's uniforms, right? First of all, their black uniform. I, well, you know, before even before their black. First of all, why is every team where they've got to do a jersey rebrand or a restyle have to suddenly include a black jersey when it's never been part of the team <laughs> colors? That's the Steelers colors. Like those are our colors. Like go away. Like. I don't, the Jets did it, like they just suddenly got a black uniform. The Jaguars did it, they just suddenly got a black uniform for no reason. Now the Commanders have done it. It's like, why Why have you just got this black uniform? And especially combining the black and yellow in there, like, come on. There's a there's a tiny, like, burgundy room you can barely see there. Ugh, yeah, I don't know. Then the, the main uniform... The main uniform, I don't mind. I do not like, however, how they have the name with the bars on top and below. Oh, Get yeah. rid of the bars, I think it's a bit better, right? It's a bit too sort of like, it's like a Hollywood movie football team kind of look at the moment, like generic, like any given Sunday NFL team that they had to make up, you know, the Washington Commanders. It's like, yeah. that's what it all kind of looks <laughs> like at the moment. I do like, I do like the matte look helmets. I, I am a fan of the, the matte burgundy helmets. The new stylized W, yeah, I'm not that much of a fan of. I, I kind of like their old jerseys, to be honest. I would have rather than just kept the old jerseys and just rebranded to the Commanders. Their uh, old jerseys were kind of classic, so I, I kind of like those. The away jersey just looks terrible. I agree, yeah. Their jerseys before I heard were fine as they were. I didn't think they needed a rebrand of anything other than the name, and even the name, I think they missed on that. I think we're going to go a yeah. few years and go, they had better options. I just think they had better options. And like you said, it's always going to be... They probably could have chosen anything and I would have said they had better options and then but I just don't know the commander seems yeah. seems weird to me. But I mean it's better than so it's better than Washington generic. football team, I must say. Like I hated waking up and watching fantasy football and it was like you're playing against the football team and you're like, What what who yeah. oh, oh okay, yes, there is a team called the football team. So I think it must be anything's yeah. better than that. <laughs> Yeah, better um, than nothing. I mean, better than nothing. As we, yeah, this is the, yeah, the name. They are the six the name nations of the, of the NFL. <laughs> this yeah. is the name of the podcast. Better yeah. than nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The sports. Yeah, have any have, other podcast right, out there? No, better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, you're right. I feel like they just had better options than commanders. And then even if you're going with commanders, the bars I think are a misstep. I just don't. Yeah, I don't think it works. Uh the away jerseys are terrible. The, the home jersey can be salvaged. Get rid of the bars on top of bottom of commanders. Uh, 
yeah, it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's, it is hard to think, you know, what could we come up with that we're not going to get flack for, for, you know, having a derogatory name or that doesn't, you know, that's still like brands well. I think, you know, there are people that get paid a hell of a lot of money to make those calls. And I think mm-hmm. they could have done something a lot better. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to make a poll on Instagram um, for the sports booth and I'm going to yeah. put all the options are named and let's see what our, our followers choose, because I'll be interested to see what actually the people for, because I can imagine now the commanders wouldn't have been high up there, but I don't think even pre I'm going to find all the names they were, that were at least in the mix and see, see what they See what see what the people say because I, I just I I'm like I sit here and I go I'm baffled like you said at a round table probably cost about two three million dollars of everyone in the room let alone the amounts of co- probably coffee and alcohol you had served after you celebrated choosing yeah. the commanders and yeah, that's what, coffee yeah <laughs> I always say that, beginning with C I think it's my <laughs> I always say that it's my favorite I would love to just be at one of those round tables making those big decisions and being saying where's my million yeah. dollars you know like. Hey, it is what it is. Yeah. Couple last things before we move on to our final thing. Antonio Brown, I don't know if we talked I don't think we talked about this last week. He's back in the news a little bit. With the Ravens jersey, his tweeting Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I just as a shut down. Was it shut down? I haven't seen any any. Oh yeah, that. yeah. The, the the Ravens GM Eric DeCosta came out and just basically said we're pretty comfortable with our group of white <laughs> now. So yeah, that's not that's not happening. I, I mean he, he wants to go there because his cousin players on the team so yeah. but but nah, i was about to say I was, if there was a team that could as well like from a Steelers point of view that could rival that you in here you shut the fuck up and you do what we say it would be the ravens however i still i, I think yeah. he's too far gone <laughs> yeah. i think he's too far gone you guys got him at the right time did all the right things with him and then said oh yeah we'll wind him up and then let him go and you just let him go on the lead <laughs> so, yeah exactly uh yeah it's it's yeah. He's I, I don't think he's going to play in twenty twenty two. I don't. I can't see a team giving him a chance. I can't see a team. No. What first year head coach is going to want to take a chance? I reckon. I still Brown? think Jacksonville. If he if he if he if he's keen to play football and doesn't have any other option, sort of Doug Peterson down there. I wouldn't surprise me if he goes. Okay, I'll go and just play and earn some money. But I still, I think he'll make more money out of football than going to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think that's where he'll draw yeah. the line where he'll only play for... Hit not the palace, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His rap solo. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then, obviously, breaking news today, slash yesterday, slash today. Yeah. Alvin Kamara has been arrested in Vegas, as they all do, um, for assault, assaulting... And yeah, he beat up someone in a casino, yeah. allegedly. So it's like, you know, what the hell, man? Like, come on. And I, I'm going to say something here. All right. Reading the reading the facts as I read them in the story, the guy was hospitalized at 5.50 p.m. the day before the Pro Bowl, and the police interviewed him then. But Alvin Kamara wasn't arrested until after the Pro Bowl, right? That's kind of dodgy to me. Like... I've, I'm sure the commish was down there like, this Pro Bowl is going ahead with Alvin Kamara. You can arrest him afterwards. He's playing in this in this game. And I think that's pretty pretty gross, to be honest. But, I mean, I, Kamara's behavior was gross if he, if he did do what he did do. Like, and I can imagine if it's in a casino, there's going to be some footage. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's what took so long. Maybe they need to go look through the footage or get a warrant to search. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Any which way it goes, 
what the hell, man? Like, I don't, yeah, it's I don't. Not, you're not even there for like, you're not even there for like the Super Bowl. You're there for the fucking Pro Bowl. Like, congratulations, a bunch of dumbass fans voted you to the Pro Bowl, and you're gonna go celebrate by going getting uh, drunk at a casino and beating some poor staff up, like, and just reacting to it. And someone, uh, one of my NFL friends, had a really good uh, like suggestion. It's like this always happens. These players going out in public, but if you're there for the Pro Bowl, right? And you're all there, all these players, there, all these athletes. Just get a fucking Airbnb or like a rental house. So you're all multi-million dollar athletes. Just just hire a mansion for for the week and just party there. Just keep it internal. Don't go out to public because there's going to be some shithead in public that's going to say something to upset you that you're going to beat the crap out of him because you're a professional athlete. You're paid to be big and strong. And he's some sap on the street that probably lost a fantasy football tournament because of you. And so he's going to take out his frustration on you because he doesn't have any other way to take his frustration because he works a shitty job in America where health insurance costs about 50% <laughs> of your wages. Um, so he's going to just he's going to see his professional athlete out there and just like, you're making millions of dollars and you cost me my fantasy football, which is the one ray of happiness <laughs> fuck you and I'm going to go over and talk some shit to you and you're going to react to it and it's the same cycle it happens over and over and over and over and over again that it's become predictable at this point just hire a house just do it somewhere else do it out of the public eye I'll take it to, I'll take it to another level I'll take it to another level don't even say you want to go out in public hire a security damn team to just follow yeah. you around like you guys all go yeah, at a table. Like you've Floyd got a, with a dead. right. You just get a security team around the table. Like people can shout, shout out and stuff. And as soon as, even if you start to think, if that security starts to think you're about to throw a punch, they're getting you the fuck out of there. Like I again, I agree. Yeah. You got money. It's the, it's it's the old uh, Henry Rugg situation. You got money and you're drunk driving. You got money and you're beating people up. Like just do something with that money. Use it again. Fan was probably a dickhead. Don't get me wrong. It happened pre pro, uh, pro Bowl, and I would have been like. If I was Alvin Kamara, I'd be like, surely you tell someone that this has happened. Like, like yeah. surely you tell the NFL and go, maybe I'll just sit this one out and, like, this has happened. Like, surely the NFL, yeah, again, uh, there's some dodginess that happened around there. As a Falcons fan, I will send, <laughs> yeah. I will send the Falcons jersey to that man that got beat up for this, as long as he is all right and everything. And I'm making a joke yeah. about this now, but I hope he's all right. But it may mean that, hey, Alvin Kamara misses some season. Tom Brady's not there anymore. Holy moly. Falcons. Yeah, look at. I mean, let's take a look here. At the NFC South. Quick, quick tangent. Here, look at the <laughs> NFC South. Tampa Bay without Brady, right? New Orleans without Sean Payton and with question marks at quarterback. Matt Rule still in at Carolina with God knows who at quarterback. Maybe Sam Darnold. Somehow, all out of all of this, the Atlanta Falcons have come out as the most stable team in the NFC South with a Pro Bowl tight end in Kyle Pitts, who is a pretty, pretty damn good player. And with a veteran quarterback, one of the, the most veteran quarterbacks in the league now, Matt Ryan, get a bit, a few more offensive line pieces in front of him, maybe a running back to help him out here, wide receiver there in a draft that is chock full of wide receiver talent and offensive line talent. Falcons have a shot at that division. I don't, you know, like who, the, who, who is Tampa Bay going to be starting quarterback? Blaine Gabbert? Another, no. another very veteran quarterback now at this point, but, you know, not one that has ever wowed anyone uh they're gonna bring in a, a free agent from somewhere like who's available like you're not are you gonna lure you know there's the possibility of luring down uh russell wilson or an aaron Rodgers, but they've been already linked to other places and like you know who's gonna want to go and fill in tom brady's shoes like no one's gonna do that jimmy g you, you can go New Orleans. <laughs> yeah oh yeah maybe just he'll just be like yeah that would be that would be a power move jimmy g, that would be just like you know what 
you know what? I'm coming. <laughs> um, and then you you look at you look at Carolina and it's like, well, that's shit show. I, and that's I, I look at the NFL and I'm just like, how does Matt Rule have a job and Brian Flores doesn't? You know. Then again, last season I might have said that about Zach Taylor. And exactly. He's now coaching the so, That's, uh, you know, that's the thing with Matt Rule. I don't mind because he's come out publicly and said, look, he knows he's on the hot seat, but like, and the Panthers have committed to staying with him. At least they're like, what is, is this going to be his fourth year this year? Like. Coming up, his I think. third year coming up. Third year coming up. He's, he's, and that's yeah. I always believe you have to give someone at least three years. You have to give them three years yep. to go and build something. If after three years it's not there, okay, it's not there. But like you have to give them three years. And so I think I'm all right with the Carolina play, even even with the issues they've had. And uh, I think the general management's been shit There's, as well. Then but, it, yeah. 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 Exactly. I was going to say like I don't you know at least with Zach Taylor they went out and got him a quarterback. Like who are the like who have the Panthers got a quarterback? Um, maybe maybe if Cam Newton's there, maybe Cam Newton can recapture some old magic. I, I don't think so, but maybe he can. We'll see. We'll see. And then, yeah, and then the Saints are just like, what a shit show oh, there. Like, Michael wow. Thomas wasn't don't want to be there. Alvin Kamara might not be there. Like, money, money, not, 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 not in yeah, abundance the, there. <laughs> yeah, the cap just, yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. So, NFC South, bit of a shit Oof. show next year. Perfect situation for an average team like the Falcons to take the division. <laughs> We're going to be uh, the stability. first, the first, stability. the first like seven and ten ever playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could happen. It could happen. All righty, let's move on. You've got one last thing for us, Hughesy, I think. Yes, yes. So it's it's it's, a, it's it is a court case today. It's not the same level of preparation for the TJ Watt case because I had a personal stake in that one. But I've got <laughs> I've got a. It's, I'm actually I'm not going to call it a, a, a court case. This is more of a proposition. I'm going to sell something to you today uh look so there's been a lot of talk around the pro bowl and kind of what a boring event it was i think more exciting the pro bowl was kind of the skills stuff that happened beforehand but we didn't really see a lot of it here in australia and it was sort of a bit of a social media stunt and that's you know that's kind of fun i think it's interesting to see Uh, i think they could sort of build on that a little bit more i think yeah like something like other than a football game around it like a a dodgeball tournament or a flag football tournament would be better better than trying to play a game but there's also talk and this this combines then this flows back into our previous conversation about the coaching situation and tanking right there's a lot of chatter going on about the tanking and the importance of the number one overall draft pick so this ever this the nfl has their draft system right where the worst team in the league the team with the worst record gets a number one overall draft pick and then we go up in ascending order from worst record to best record in terms of draft picks, with the team that wins the Super Bowl having the last pick in each of the rounds of the draft. Now, obviously, this lends itself very much to to tanking, because if you've got the worst record, you get the best pick. You've got more options. The worse you do, the better pick you get. You know, we even saw, like, uh, Doug Peterson, he was, you know, he, the Eagles parted ways with him, but there were accusations of he was being told to tank the game so that the Eagles have a better draft pick and things like that. So tanking's always, every year when a team starts to do bad, things about tanking are always uh, put out there. You know, the Colts had suck for luck. Miami had tank for tour and things like that. So tanking is, as much as the NFL doesn't want to admit it, it is an issue in the game. Teams, teams do tank. You know, the Dolphins definitely tried to tank for tour. There's no, no, no. I, there's not a doubt in my mind about that. Stephen Ross is the kind of guy that would tank. <laughs> so what do you, what do you do to counteract tanking, right? And there's been a few suggestions out there, and the most prominent suggestion that's been out there has been the loser bowl. 
Now, the loser bowl would be a game between the two teams with the worst record for the number one overall pick in the draft. And on paper, it sounds like a good idea, right? You actually have a competitive game with the two teams that actually have some, a stake and something to play for, uh, fighting for the number one overall pick, and coaches potentially coaching for their jobs, or new head coaches getting an early preview of their new teams and getting a, coach, a game coach under their belt, seeing firsthand what they can do under their systems. So on paper, that sounds like a good idea. However, however, there are holes abundant in this. First and foremost, right, whenever you play a full contact game of NFL football, someone's going to get injured, right? And at the end of the year, you've got a lot of players heading into free agency that aren't planning on sticking around their team, especially if it's the teams with the worst and second worst record. So how... So, Am I really going to get 100% out of my player that's going into free agency that's going to be looking for a big contract next year? I don't think so, especially in a game that has no personal stakes for that player because it's not going to be his team next year that gets the number one overall draft pick. It's going to be his former team. Uh, secondly, the I, I, did, I talked briefly about you know head coaches getting an early preview of their new teams. What if your team hasn't hired a coach yet? Jacksonville Jaguars haven't hired a coach and they had the uh, worst record in football. So... What are they? What are they going to do? Who's who would coach them in the loser bowl? Would their previous coach coach them? He's been fired. The members, the other members on the staff, could they coach them? Yeah, maybe. But maybe you don't have them on the staff. Maybe they've been let go as well. What motivation do they have to to coach? You know, maybe they can show off some skills, but maybe they don't have enough experience. I think it's too uncertain in that regard as well. And I think the third problem is that it would be only between two teams. Only two teams have this chance to affect the draft order. And I think. When it's only two teams getting a shot at the number one overall pick, you're going to have 30 other teams that are going to be complaining about it. So I think the loser bowl is not the way to go to solve the issue of tanking. I'm here today, Luke, to join the the to tell you that I've joined the group, the the popular movement amongst NFL fans that I want you to join too, and that is to institute an NFL draft lottery akin to the NBA draft lottery. I think you see with this the more when you have that lottery system, and I don't know the full intricate details of the lottery, but essentially with the lottery, the worse you did, the higher percentage chance, and that's the key word, chance you have of obtaining that number one overall pick. But it's not a certain thing. Your draft order is not certain until the lottery is done. So if you're tanking for that number one overall pick because there is that one player in the draft who is that spectacular that you want that number one overall pick for, you're going to tank for that player. You're going to do everything you can to get that player on your roster. With the lottery system, then, you are not guaranteed to get that player no matter how bad you do. And in fact, if you're you know, first through fourth worst, you've still got you've got a relatively even percentage chance of getting that number one overall pick. So you might get that number one overall pick, even if you don't do the worst of football. So you are going to try in more games. I think it's got to be a slightly adjusted version of the NBA lottery, because I think the, the higher picks are... The NBA draft, I think, is very top-heavy for the first couple of picks, and then sort of as you get towards the middle and end, it's not as important. I think with the NFL, it is a bit more uh, important all the way through the first round. So the, the order of all 32 picks really does 
matter. So I think you've got to group it. I think you have the uh, worst team from Conference 1, worst te- second worst team from Conference 1, worst team from Conference 2, second worst team from Conference 2. And they're the four teams that are in the lottery for the first four picks. And then I think you have another group after that of like eight teams. Um, and then you have another group after that. You group, you have different tiers that are in play for the different picks. And then the playoff teams, that's very easy to play off. All the wild card teams that got knocked out in the wild card, they're in the lottery bracket for certain picks. Then you have the divisional teams that are knocked out, conference championship teams that are knocked out. And then I think the Super Bowl winner does get the last pick in the draft and the run-up to the Super Bowl gets the second last pick. I don't think you need to mess that up too much. I feel like that's a bit of a fairer way to do it. Uh, and I feel like it prevents tanking. The downsides. Obviously, there is, there is always the possibility whenever something with chance has to do with it that a team that, you know, the, the worst team doesn't always get the best player in the draft, so it might affect balancing. I, I don't necessarily see that being the case. I think NFL draft is loaded enough with talent that you will get a good player in the first four picks, whether you pick player one, two, three, or four. And I think that there is enough balance throughout the positions in the NFL draft. And there's enough trading that goes on anyway that you can get the player that you really want if you're really that motivated to to go and get him. Everything has got a price, which we've seen in previous drafts. So I do understand the concerns, though, about, let's say, and this is why I suggest you limit it to four teams are in play for the number one overall pick. I think if you have any more than that, it opens it up to competitive unfairness, where you have a team that, if they got had that number one overall pick, it would be just unfair for them to have it. They 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 haven't been bad enough to deserve that number one overall pick. So that's why I think you have to introduce that bracketing of who can who is really in play for these picks. Um, but other than that, I don't see that much of a downside. I think it makes it more exciting as well. I think not knowing where, I think not, you know, knowing, okay, if we have the worst record, we're going to get the number one overall pick and we can get star player X, who's going to be a generational talent. I think that's better for the league overall because all of the games during the season matter because you're never going to tank. You're never going, you, you're never going to be, Guarantee, like, okay, I'm going to get this number one overall pick. I'm going to lose as many games as I can. You're going to try for every single game because you just need to be in that bottom four to still be in play for that number one overall pick. And I think it's it makes the the general managers have to do a, a better job at scouting all the talent and scouting all the players. If you know that you're only looking at the first overall pick and you you know that that's your player, that's a lot of your work just already done yeah and that, that, that's, that's pretty much i think it's a fair system i think the nba has shown that it works and it, you see that the teams that draft well you know there's this the, the power structure in the nba is cons- consistently fluctuating of teams that can be competitive and teams that aren't and i think that serves a really good template that can translate to the nfl and i'll leave it at that Alrighty, well, good proposition, and I'm very interested. Now, at the at the start of that, I thought you were going to sell me the loser bowl, and I was about to be like, Husey, shut the fuck up, it's the worst idea in the world, okay? Tell me why you, as a quarterback, would go out and play and try and win the game exactly. when they're just going to draft a replacement. You're never going to do that. Injuries, yeah. you've then got to take into account that these teams finished 
in the wild card round. So they didn't play the wild card round. They didn't play the divisional. Didn't play the conference. So it's been four weeks since they've last played a football game. Ain't no one coming out and playing no damn loser bowl. All right. So we got that out of the way. That's rubbish. Tanking in the NFL, I don't think has been such a big issue as it was in the NBA. And so this is why the NBA moved to this plan. Recently, tanking has been started to be an issue. Tank for tour obviously was quite Mm. a big one. I think all this stuff coming out now from Miami is issues. I think you've got a point here. An NFL draft style system or like a, um, a lottery for the NFL, I am not quite on board yet. And you didn't quite sell me. You definitely, you put me on the on the idea maybe this could work, but I've never thought it could work. Mm. Now, the reason I say that is is for some of the points you, you, you mentioned, specifically saying that generation talent that can change, change the game, especially in one position is my issue. So in the NBA, you could have a generational talent at all five positions, draft them, ready, ready, right. To have a generational talent at the quarterback position and not give it to a team that went 0-17 or the Cincinnati Bengals, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who need it, I think actually hurts the league in the long run. So I just brought up, just to look at it, because I was like, man, the NBA draft, Look, at, let's look back at the first picks. Just think about the first picks. Now, obviously, this was done with, with lottery up until like, I think it started from like 2006 or something like, something like that. Um, we look back, and the last time one of these players won a championship was 2012. That was Anthony Davis with the LA Lakers this year. So he was drafted by the Pelicans, or New Orleans Hornets at the time, and then has been traded to the Lakers. Do you think he won because it was him, or do you think maybe because LeBron James? Okay, so cool. We've got you there. LeBron James probably helped a little bit. Take it a year. I think Anthony Davis. I think you. Could, I think a, a few people could say Anthony Davis contributed pretty well to that. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. He's he's a big part. But if Joe Burrow goes to to win this Cincinnati Bengals team the championship, he's going to be uh, considered a better number one pick than I think Anthony Davis will be. When you look at this, his these two championships. Now there's a lot to do with that as well. Second year, we can we can sit back and do the arguments all days about comparing sports. Let's go back one year, 2011, Kyrie Irving. Same situation, obviously. Kyrie Irving's a very talented basketball player. LeBron James on his team. Can't say he did nothing, because of course he didn't do nothing. He was part of the big three in Cleveland that won that championship. Then we go back all the way to Andrew Bogut, who we can't really count. Australian, love him, but didn't do much on the championship team. So 2003, LeBron James. Now it took him to leave his team, to then come back and win a championship. So what I'm saying with all of this stuff is the number one pick in the NBA, as much I, I, I like how you said it, it's, it's definitely higher value on the number one picks on the NBA to the point of it, the pool starts to drop off. You've got such a bigger pool in the NFL. Yeah. But my issue is that generational quarterback talent, that God, okay. God sends quarterback generation talent. Okay, I, I I do have a I do have a do have a, to this, a counter yeah. to this here. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at the last couple of NFL drafts, right? And let's look at the last couple of number one overall picks. So 2021 NFL draft. I'm just going by quarterbacks here and where they were taken. So yeah, number one Trevor Lawrence, number two Zach Wilson, number three Trey Lance, number four uh, Justin Fields, and number five Mac Jones. I'm not going to go anywhere beyond that, right? Yeah. Which of those quarterbacks made the Pro Bowl? Mac Jones, the last of those five taken in the first round. Right. Time, time. So I, I, don't do it. 
So no. I'm, I'm just just let me go. I'm not claiming, and now I'm not claiming Mac Jones is a generational yeah, 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 talent. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm, I'm saying there is, there is a depth to the position. 2020 NFL draft, right? First overall pick was Joe Burrow, but then you also had Tua, you had Justin Herbert as well taking that draft. Jordan Love don't really count, but you have Jalen Hurts as well also taken in there, right? I don't. Justin Herbert is a pretty damn good quarterback that I think if he was on the Bengals. I, I think they, they I don't know necessarily if they go to the Super Bowl. I think they make a better run than what the Chargers did in the in the AFC though. I think Justin Herbert can do a lot of the things that Joe Burrow does as well. I think the system around him. So I I'm not I don't think Joe Burrow is a generational talent. I don't think he's a generational talent. I think that generational talent is a lot more balanced in the NFL than I think it is in the NBA. You look at the greatest player of all time in the NFL, what round was he drafted? the sixth round. You look at one of the best wide receivers that he doesn't get hit by Vontes Burford in the head, who could have been the greatest wide receiver of all time. What round was he drafted? The sixth round, Antonio Brown. The number one overall pick in the NFL is no guarantee of Super Bowl success. Look at 2019. Number one overall pick was Kyler Murray. You've got Daniel Jones in there, not so good. Dwayne Haskins, not so good. Drew Locke, not so good. This one, this draft, there was one decent quarterback. Even then, Kyler Murray, there's still questions about Kyler Murray. He's not locked in as a certain thing. He's not locked in as a quarterback for years and years to come. There are questions about him in Arizona. 2018 draft, right? Number one overall, Baker Mayfield. Number three overall, Sam Darnold. They are the, the, and Josh Rosen, number 10 overall. They are the three worst quarterbacks of that first round because you also got Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen drafted seven overall. Lamar Jackson drafted number 32 overall, right? The Mason Rudolph was drafted in the third round. He's got more wins than Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold do, right? I think Sam Darnold <laughs> might have more. I'm not sure. But Mason Rudolph is, he, you know, he's drafted in the third round there. There's depth to position. 2017 draft, right? Who was the first quarterback taken in that draft? Mitchell fucking Trubisky. And then the closest thing we've got to the GOAT in modern NFL times is Patrick Mahomes. Right, who's been to, who went to two straight Super Bowls, four straight AFC Championship games, is got the biggest contract in NFL history, and he was drafted number ten overall. You've also got Deshaun Watson, who was drafted twelve overall, who didn't play this year, but before that was definitely considered one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So I don't think that the number one overall pick in the draft. I think Joe Burrow has taken the the shimmer, the shine of that, and elevated it to, to be too important. I don't think there is that the number one overall pick in the draft is as important to a team's success as people think it is. Because the teams that have been making it to the championships, to the Super Bowls, are not teams that, for you look at it statistically, have not had the number one overall draft pick. The Cincinnati Bengals are an outlier in that regard. It has been the teams that have drafted early in the first, but not first overall. Now, absolutely great point. My argument here... Is, is lesser on winning Super Bowls and more changing the organisation and the, the luck or the lack thereof talent. So let's start 1998, alright? Quarterback drafted first, Peyton Manning, alright? And the Annapolis Colts. Great career. How good have the Colts been since Peyton was there, alright? Let's keep going. 2001. They've been decent. Decent. They, they, they've been decent. You know, they, have, they've been, they haven't been a terrible organisation. They haven't had a number one overall pick. Since then, 2001, Michael Vick, Atlanta Falcons. At at, at pre oh, pre what a great culture pre but again 
it changed the fortunes of that franchise until he disappeared. We weren't losing games anymore. Okay. Next one's where you can put another your asterisk in your argument too. David Carr. And obviously there was more to that organization than that. Then we go Carson Palmer, Cincinnati Bengals. 2004, Eli Manning, charges traded with everything. Again, there's, there's arguments, and I'll just get to the end of this. Alex Smith, 2005. Then you've got your Jamarcus Russells. Matthew Stafford, 2009. 2010, Sam Bradford. 2011, Cam Newton. 2012, Andrew Luck. Then we go 2015, Jameis Winston. 2016, Jared Goff. Then 2018, Baker. 19, Murray. Burrow, Trevor Lawrence. Now, what I tend to think is if you added up those quarterbacks there, most of them, you can take it, obviously you're going to have those hit and misses. And the same thing will happen in the NBA. I can list you um, Anthony Bennett from the Cleveland Cavaliers that was drafted in 2014. No, maybe 2013. He, a whiff, just a complete whiff. You have them, you have guys like Greg Oden go down injured. These things happen. I think that that number one pick and that decision to make on that, especially when it's a quarterback, and most of them are, that those decisions, that can change your franchise, even just positively. So again, like you said, there's, you look at the Pat Mahomes one, and that's a classic example of a guy who was 10th and could, should like you go back now and he's the first pick no matter what. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean like, yeah, the first pick, you're guaranteed to make the right choice. You're never guaranteed to make the right choice. We don't even know if Joe Burrow is yet the right choice in that draft. Like you said, Herbert could be the right choice. But what I'm saying is being having the chance to make that choice is very valuable. Now, second part, I like how you split it into into parts because that would be my issue. Imagine in, in the NFL, yeah. uh, NBA, it's 16 teams make the playoffs, so 14 teams go in the lottery. Imagine if like, the 14th team have like a 0.5% chance. It doesn't get, you don't really have a chance until you get to like top eight. Imagine if the yeah. 14th team won it. Yeah. My issue is where, where do you draw the line in tanking? Because if you know you're not finishing in that fourth position, chances are you're going to try and lose that, that second to last game. So you fix one problem because, hey, you're in this group, but it doesn't fix a whole problem. Um, and then from there, I guess how you do it, it doesn't really matter. I think, like you said, the top, Top eight picks, I think you could easily make an argument. And I think you could do it. You could sell me on a setup, and I'd love to see a a, a setup because I think yeah, a full, yeah, a full setup because I would love to see how it would work. For me, I think the way it is at the moment, I would rather take the idea of tanking as bad as it is because I don't think there's guys out there on that football field that aren't trying to lose. If you know what I mean, like you're trying to play for your yeah. next big money contract. I think there's enough players out there who are not going to be trying to lose that I'll take the idea of tanking as terrible as that sounds because I fucking hate it as well. Like it, sh- it just shouldn't be a thing. I'll take the idea of it than a draft where it puts the Detroit Lions who have won three games in three years and all of a sudden they've gone from the first pick to the fourth pick and still somehow make the wrong pick. And again, this is this is all, you mentioned it with Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence. Mac Jones was by far the best quarterback this year. That doesn't mean he's a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. It just means at the moment, the Patriots set up is better than, than Jacksonville. So I think there's a lot to take in. It's the same thing in the NBA. You can have that one superstar that just takes takes team. LeBron James disappears. He comes back, can win a championship with a team. you got Steph Curry's. you got stuff like that. Yeah. Steph Curry wasn't a first pick, you know, like that. You can make all those arguments. So I, I, I totally see where you're coming from, and I think there is probably a way out of this, and, and a draft isn't a bad idea. Just at the moment, I'm like, I can 
I can take it. If you find out someone's tanking, you hit them with a big enough fine to say, you'll never do that again. Um, but again, I, I, I'm not sure that's even the right way, but that that's just my perspective. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. I, I still think that there's enough talent in the top four that any of those top four players can can change the culture of a team and can change a, a losing team from a winning team. That's my belief about the depth of um, the NFL. And I think as well, if you're in that top four, you've got, you could still trade within that top four. Just because you'd now pick one through four, you're not, those picks aren't set until the draft pick is in. So, yeah, look, I, I think that the, there's enough talent to go around that you can you can change the fortunes of a franchise with a top four pick. I'm just I'm just going to put, and this will be the final point I have for it. Pittsburgh Steelers somehow, some way go two and fifteen next year. Somehow, somehow, yeah, it's not going to happen, all right? But somehow they do, all right? All of a sudden they bring out this rule and going from you lose out in the lottery and go from first to fourth. I feel like there's going to be a lot of you know question marks around. Wait a minute. We've we've waited like we haven't had a bad year in you know yeah twenty odd years like you can't be doing this to us now when we have the right to our first overall pick we pick Bryce Young Bryce Hall whatever the Alabama quarterback's name is and he takes us to many more French uh, Super Bowls you know I just that, that's my only issue again and I I see what you mean the depth yeah. and stuff I see I totally get it but yeah I think the first year it comes in if it does come in would be controversial. And def- you can't bring it out before the draft. You have to bring it out before the season starts. Yeah. Like, yeah, you might have to bring it, like, as the previous season, like, like this t- this time for season 2024 is when you have to bring it out or something like that. Just, or, or season 2023, I should say. Um, yeah, yeah, draft 2023, season 2022. This yeah. would be when you'd have to, to bring it out. Um, yeah, I, I get you. I think whatever the, whatever the first year that it comes in, if it comes in, will be controversial. But I think in the long run, people will accept it. And I think as long as you, sh- as I think as long as it's weighted, I don't, I don't think the top four picks should be equal chance. I think it should definitely be weighted more towards the ones with the worst record. Um, I think that that just makes sense. Like yeah. that, you've got the worst record, you've got a higher percentage chance of getting that pick, but it's not set in stone. Um, then that's when. I think people will come to accept it. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think it's, I think if we get more and more evidence of tanking, there's going to be more and more reason to move to it. There, I don't think there has been a reason to move to it before the last couple of years when it's become more prevalent, but now it is becoming prevalent. There needs to be some way of counteracting it. And it's always going to be hard to prove that tanking is happening. That's the thing. You can say that there's punishments for tanking. You can threaten to strip teams' ownerships away and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's very, very difficult to prove it. And there needs to be some way to disincentivize from it. Definitely. And I, you're right. I think that, I think this will be the eventual route somewhere along the line. Again, people at a round table will say... It's better than nothing, and <laughs> yeah. and come up with something. So at least at least that'll be yeah. done. No, I, I think that was that was a brilliant question, and we're gonna po- we'll post. I'll post something like that. Um, maybe we'll try. I'll yeah. try and get a graphic. I'll try, I'll try and I'm gonna make a graphic up for for Hughesy says, um, and to put some percentages there and see how what he thinks, and then I'll send it away, and yeah. then I'll um 
I'll post it up and see what our what our followers think because I think that's a it's an interesting topic at least. Um, and if anyone's yeah, sure. still listening an hour and thirty minutes into this, you've done well. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's I think that's us. Like that was that. I'm, yep. I'm very excited. I think rugby got us through this whole podcast. I really do. I think yeah, we got off to such a hot start with that, and then yeah, the NFL. We could sit there and talk. Hours and hours and hours and ends, which we'll probably yep, do a big, I definitely could a big, a big uh, end of season wrap up and stuff like that. We might have to do a sit down. And then we got the draft coming up. Oh, excited for the oh, draft. That's it. That'll be a lot. So that might that might have to be a big a big video where I I sort some stuff out. But mm. yeah, um, I guess other than that, we're excited for this week. Um, not super rugby, not too far away. Um, but yeah, that's all from me. Anything else you got to say, Husey? Uh Look, nothing else from me really. Uh, the Steelers are hiring, <laughs> hiring Terrell Austin as defensive coordinator, so that's exciting. And uh, Mike Munchak is no longer employed by the Denver Broncos, so Pittsburgh Steelers need to do everything in their power to bring him back. I'm talking everything. Pay him more than Mike Tom. Pay, give him whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> bring him back as offensive line coach. And there and is that, that's all I got to say. there is your weekly Steelers update. <laughs> yeah. All righty, team. Thank you very much for listening to us today. We will catch you later. Peace. See you.